Welcome to Sea of Fire Ministries with James Myers. In this series, we are considering men and women of the Bible, what we can learn from them, and observing God's constant faithfulness in the lives of His people. Today we begin to discuss David, the Shepherd of Israel. This is the first message regarding David, a man after God's own heart. You can find out more about our ministry by visiting us at seaoffire.org, or you can view James's latest videos on YouTube at Sea of Fire Ministries. We hope this message serves to edify the church. Okay, so we're here. All right, we've been anticipating the coming of the kingdom of David for a while now, and we've discussed this for quite some time, so hope y'all are as excited as I am. I mean, there's always a fear of over-promising and under-delivering, but that would be on my part. That would be my fault and not the stories and certainly not God's providence. Now, we have a lot to discuss today, but I would be remiss if I didn't give you some sort of introduction regarding David. David, as we all know, was a shepherd when he was first anointed. He, so he began as a shepherd, a great shepherd. Let's recognize, and let's realize as we look at his fight with Gath, or, or I mean with uh, Goliath, he's a shepherd and he tells Saul, remember as we've discussed, that he protected his sheep from a lion and a bear and all these other animals. So he truly put his life on the line for these animals. Just so you know, that was not typical when Christ, as we'll see in our next message he's the good shepherd and he says the one who lays down his life for the sheep just so you know there was no context for the people to really understand that they're probably kind of thinking well that's silly why don't you just let the sheep die you know just let one get away and that's fine but david is a very faithful shepherd okay he's obviously the first faithful king of Israel. However, there's so much to David. He's also a great warrior. As much as I love uh, Joshua in, in uh, his being a general, David is a great commander and he's a great warrior. He's also a great poet and a writer of music. If David was never anointed king and he was still inspired by the Holy Spirit to write the Psalms, he'd still be famous to this day. And I want us to recognize, you know, in the history of mankind, we see, we see different figures. You know, we see Caesar, we see Alexander the Great. He's called the Great because of his military expeditions. Which, and he lived to be about 33, so he was very young when he died. But, you know, on their, on their military campaigns, he would take scientists there, biologists, to test the fauna and learn more about these different areas. In fact, it's said that those expeditions... As far as the finances necessary for that would only compare to the NASA trip to the moon. So for all of ancient history, for most of the time of the world, that was considered the most expensive scientific uh, enterprise in the world. However, I think David gets lost in this. David ushered in what, what's called the golden age of Israel. So this is really the pinnacle of Israel. As, I, as we've seen, this, it, the whole history is really anticipating ultimately the coming of the Messiah, but, the ult, but also the kingdom, the kingdom in Israel, which really starts with David. Again, Saul I believe, and it seems very obvious, that he was a judgment. He was raised up as a judgment against the people. Remember that ultimately the scepter is not supposed to depart from the tribe of Judah anyway, so the king was going to come out of uh, Judah. However, so he ushered it. Israel was a, and is a very tiny, remote place on the eastern side of the Mediterranean, and it wasn't really well known. David increased the borders, made it larger than it ever has been and ever really will be until Christ's coming when he will reign upon the entire earth. However, so in his, this is the pinnacle of this time. So David, I think, doesn't get appreciated from secular historians enough just because he's found in the Bible. I think if, if he were just, you know, this typical figure like a Caesar, like an Alexander the Great, like a Pharaoh, like any of these other men, we would study him in our world history classes. But again, what, what, I, what we want to recognize, because we're going to point forward to, like I said, we're going to use these messages that referring to and considering David going into our Christmas messages. So it's important that we recognize that David is a prophet. He's 
he's a great writer, and but he's able to prophesy. He's a great king, and he's a great shepherd. He's not technically a priest. However, all most of his song psalms are to pray for the people. So he does intercede in a way in these wonderful psalms, and 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 also the psalms have served throughout history for the goodness of God's people. When we are cast low, they are a great place to go to. And even when we're high and, and lifted up and, and, and on top of the mountain in the glory of God, the Psalms keep us steady there. The Psalms are really instrumental in keeping us on that narrow road. Okay, so again, let's just recognize that David is more than just a king. Okay, he's not only, and also, well, we'll talk about shepherds really more in our next message. So, with that somewhat of an introduction, what, what we're going to do is go through these, these narratives, and we're not going to try to hurry through them, okay? If we have to have one more message or two after this, you know, after the four that we have anticipated, then we will. We just will. So, we're going to kind of take our time. Again, though, we're not expositing these, these portions we, we are discussing David specifically, but it will take some time to get through some of these. Okay, so I wanted to start, obviously we're starting at chapter 16, 1 Samuel chapter 16, right after where we left off last week, where Saul, the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, which we'll see in here again. But I wanted to read the first two verses and then go from there. Now the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I, have reject, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, how can I go? If, Saul's he if Saul hears it, he will kill me. But the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Okay, so... Uh, Samuel is still mourning for Saul. Remember, we saw that last week, and God's kind of getting a bit frustrated here. He's like, get over it. I've rejected him as king. Now it's time to move on. Okay, I, I, I appreciate that you knit yourself to him to some degree. However, you've seen his faithlessness, so get over it and go. I have sent you to Jesse. Remember, we've talked about God's command to go. God's servants are not called to go until God call, says go. And he tells Samuel to go, for I have sent you. And then he said, but Saul, I mean, see, uh, Samuel, a lot of S's. <laughs> Samuel um, is, it, it, it implores God, well, if Saul hears about this, he's going to kill me, which is true. So God makes a plan. He says, take a heifer with you and go, go and say, you're, go to Bethlehem. The city of David, where the Christ was born, but go to Bethlehem. We'll, we'll consider that. Uh, but go to Bethlehem and, 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 and anoint the one that I say to anoint. And we'll get to that kind of shortly too. But so go and say, tell them uh, you're, you're coming to make a sacrifice. And he gets there and all the people are afraid. First of all, he's not with Saul. But we also talked Saul that he cut up Agag in pieces. You know, I mean, when a prophet would come unannounced, you know, in other words, if they weren't invited, you'd be scared if a prophet came to town, okay? Typically, they're going to be preaching words of woe, um, oracles of woe, so, you know, curses or, or certain judgments that God's uh, um, announcing to the people. But that's not happening here, obviously. So they ask him, have you peaceably come? And he says, peaceably, I have come. I've come to offer a sacrifice. Consecrate yourself, sanctify yourself for this sacrifice. And then Samuel consecrated Jesse and his sons. And then when it came time to anoint his sons, he had uh, all of Jesse's sons come down. Eliab was the first one. He's very tall. He's very handsome. And, that, and so Samuel says, surely the anointed is before him. He looked at Eliab and he said, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical nature, because, stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see man uh, see as man sees. For John looks at the, for man looks at the out, outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. 
Sorry, I forgot to have this open. But in John uh, chapter 2, verses 23 through 25, Christ says, Now, well, now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men and had no need that anyone should, anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. So Christ himself knew the heart of men. Obviously, he is God, so that's how he did. But, but God, God's even saying, you look on the outside. You're all impressed with the outside. I look at the heart. Okay, I look at the heart. Um, so, and then, so he has all of his sons pass before him. Eliab is the first, is the, uh, is the eldest. Uh, Abinadab is the second eldest. And then Shema is the third oldest. And then four other sons who are unnamed pass before, and we'll see where, well, I think that they're unnamed. But uh, then four of his other sons pass by. So seven of Jesse's sons, seven of Jesse's sons pass before him. And God, is, and God continues to say, no, this isn't the one. And that's when, as we discussed fairly briefly last week, um, that, you know, are these all your sons? And Jesse says, well, the youngest is tending the sheep. And he says, bring him here. We, we can't go anywhere. We can't do anything until he comes. So he comes and he's very ruddy and he's very good looking. Ruddy means fair complected. Okay. So he's and he has beautiful eyes. In the New King James, it says bright eyes. It doesn't mean bright eyes. It means beautiful eyes. Because what we tend to think of is he must have had blue or green eyes. It would have said he has blue or green eyes. He has beautiful eyes. In other words, when you, he has a peace, peaceful face about him. He has a peaceful look about him. Something's, something attracts you to him. As we'll see, the people love him everywhere he goes, except for Saul when he, you know, becomes jealous of him. But all the people start to adore him because, you know, he's affable. You know, he's easy to get along with. He's very humble, but he's also good looking and he has beautiful eyes. He's got welcoming eyes. You know, my wife, Sarah, has beautiful green eyes. But if they were brown, she'd still have beautiful eyes. She has attractive eyes. You know, when I look into her eyes, I love the way she looks at me. Whether her eyes were green, purple, pink with yellow polka dots or whatever. She has beautiful eyes. The countenance of her eyes are beautiful. So he comes and that's when, um, that's when the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. And Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. That's important. He anointed him in front of his brothers. Also, this horn is truly comes from a sheep. Rams are sheep. Those are male sheep, ewes or female sheep, but it truly comes from the horn of a sheep, which is befitting of the narrative. So after this, this is when the spirit of Saul departs from the spirit of the Lord departs from Saul, and he gives him a distressing spirit. And his servants implore him, you know, let's find somebody. Let's find somebody who can play some music, some soothing music to restore your spirit. And he says, okay, go and find one. Do you know of anybody? And a man st uh, steps up and says, oh yeah. Oh yeah, the son of Jesse, he's a great warrior. He's very good looking, which is, which is essential to come into the king's court. You have to be wise, you have to be, you have to be a warrior of some sort, and you have to be good looking. We see that with Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel and, and all of his friends, Meshach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're all good looking. Otherwise, you're not able to come into the court of the king. However, so they, and, and so he says, go and send for him. Now, this is after uh, David's anointing, okay? So when they come, I think Jesse had to be scared that Saul found out about David's anointing. So he loads up the donkey. You know, Jesse puts all sorts of stuff. I mean, this would be customary anyway, you know, to send to the king as a gift to the king. However, I think, I mean, I automatically assume that there had to be some fear with Jesse, but he has no choice. He has no choice. As Samuel said, the king is going to take your sons to serve him, and that's what Saul does. That's what Saul does. He, he, he calls uh, David to himself. Okay. And he's skillful um, in playing. He's a mighty man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a handsome person. And the Lord is with him. That was the last moniker, or the last description of David. 
And that's the most important description, okay? That's the most important thing as we go along. It's not so much that he's good looking. It's not so much that he can play music. It's not so much that he can write well. It's, it's that the Lord is with him. And just real quickly, because we all have heroes, right? We all have certain people that we look up against. And they're typically either athletes, uh, race car drivers, politicians, singers, and, and so forth, actors, all sorts of things. David embodies all of these. And I would just encourage us to find real figures that God has given us to to look up to, to adore in that way, to honor and try to manifest ourselves to them. Doesn't do any of us any good to idolize an athlete when we're never going to be in the NFL. You know, when our days, those days are behind us. It doesn't do any good to idolize a singer just because they're gifted with being able to, with a good voice, if they're just singing a bunch of nonsense. You know, David is given these gifts to glorify God. So he is at least worth, you know, trying to reflect. He's at least a man that I think, certainly a hero of mine. As much as I love Joshua and many of these other men in the Bible, very few come close to David, short of Christ himself. Paul is maybe a close second from David, but David, there's no one like David, in my opinion, that I see anyway in, in, in that light, in a heroic light. So, uh, so that's when Saul sent messengers to Jesse and then Jesse loaded up the donkey. Okay. So going into chapter 17, David and Goliath. Okay, now what happens is the, both the militaries, the Philistines and the Israelites, are on, t are on either side of this valley, are, are on these hills, these high hills of the valley. So they're kind of at an impasse. You, always, you were always at an advantage when you had the higher ground. So if any of them would have attacked in the valley, they put themselves at risk, great risk. So you wanted to keep the high ground. So you're not going to be the one, first one to go into the valley. So they're just at an impasse. You go first. No, you go first. No, you go first. No, neither of them are going to go. So uh, Goliath comes down. Now this would happen in the ancient world. Instead of the whole military fighting these battles, their champion would come. They, they would each select a champion. Okay, and that's what Goliath is. He's huge. Now, there, it says he's six cubits. Now, cubits is about a foot and a half, but in other manuscripts, it says there are four. So, he's anywhere between six foot six to nine feet tall. He's huge, okay? He's got this huge bronze helmet. He's all girded up. He's got bronze shin guards. He's got it all. He's got this huge javelin. He's got this huge shield. He's got this huge sword. He's got a bow and arrow. He's got an armor bearer who's got to carry all this. But he, he, but he comes out and he defies Israel. Um, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. So he's defying Israel. Now, it says in the narrative he did this twice a day for 40 days. There's another 40 days. However, he did it twice a day. So this happened 80 times. 80 times. And we'll see. The army of Israel gets all excited. You know, when, you're, when, you're, when you come to battle array, you know, you're all excited. Everybody's screaming. And every day this would happen. The Israelites are getting, start sh making their war shouts and they come to the edge of the hill. And here comes Goliath and then they all take off. They're all afraid. Saul, remember, he was the tallest one. He was the biggest one out of the Israelites. Saul should have gone and fought Goliath. Everybody knew that, including Saul. But we've seen the character of Saul. He's only brave when it suits him. He, he, he was brave and served Israel that one lonely time. And then he started building monuments for himself. And all he cares about is remaining king. That's all he cares about, as we will see. So, but, the, so Goliath is coming out. He's continually def defying the, the Israelites. Jesse, you know, is back. Oh, and, and David's three brothers, Eliab, uh, uh, Abdim, Abinadab, and uh, Shema are all there. Now, you had to be at least 20 years old to serve in the military. So I think all the other sons were younger, which makes David pretty young. I mean, the oldest is most likely 15, 16 years old. You know, he could very well be 12 or 13 at this point. Also, we want to recognize that God anointed him 
when he was young, and it took a long time before he came king. He became king, as we'll see as the weeks go on. However, so Jesse gets David, and he and he says, you know, basically because of the provisions, you know, because they're stuck there, the 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 men must be hungry. They're lacking food. They're lacking supplies. Take this, take this, and take it to your brothers, and and then come back and report to me how they are. So he shows up. All right. And 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 all the people are getting all excited. You know, they're going to the edge of the hill and they're starting to shout their war cries and so forth. And David, you know, sets all the food down with the servant and he t and he goes, he's all excited. He wants to check it out. He's excited. You know, he's a young kid. This is a spectacle for him. You know, it's it's interesting. And then that's where Goliath starts defying Israel again. And then the people take off. The people, the people start to take off. And it's reported to David, you know, the people are talking, you know, Saul is going give, to give his daughter over. He's going to, you know, basically make you tax-free, you and all of your household. No more taxation. All of this, all of these gifts. And David's like, what? What? What is he prepared to do? First of all, he should be going out. But you're telling me that if one man, if one man goes and, and kills this Philistine, he gets all of this. Why is the king offering such a high price? Because nobody's going to fight. That's why. That's why. And David's incensed by this. He's confused. He's disillusioned. He doesn't understand why none, none of the men, especially with this incentive, are rising up to fight. Remember, we've seen that. A constant problem, okay? Now, so, you know, uh, then David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from, from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? I love that. Who is this guy? Who is this guy? You're all running scared. Who is this guy? We have the God of heaven and earth. What are you doing? What are you doing fleeing? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? And the people answered in this manner, so shall it be done for the man who kills him. And we, told, and we already talked about that. Now Eliab, Eliab his, old, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David, and he said, why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. This is so typical of a big brother, who's who's gonna being one-upped by his little brother but also of a coward of a coward who sees the bravery in somebody else to accuse him of other motives of ulterior motives and that's where Eliab is he he just thinks the worst of David I don't even really think he thinks the worst I think he was jealous that David was anointed and now he's like what are you doing here I know what you're trying to do you're trying to make a name for yourself. You know, dad told you to come and bring us food. You've brought us food. Now get out of here. What are you doing still here? And David responded, what have I done now? <laughs> what have I done now? You're always pestering me. <laughs> You're always bothering me about this stuff. What have I done now? Is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? There's so many times where we conjure up these causes that really aren't causes. We magnify certain things that, that, that aren't all that big of a deal. This and, and causes like this is a cause worth fighting for. So David's saying, is there not a cause? And we'll see uh, at the... Uh, in verse 36, it says when he's imploring Saul, well, we'll get there. Okay, let's just real quick. So when the words uh, with which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul. So the, all these men are hearing, okay, David's not scared. So they go to Saul. Remember, David is 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 now actually uh, Saul's armor bearer because they all they all fall in love. Saul falls in love with David. Jonathan loves David. Uh, Michal, uh, Saul's daughter, loves David. All of his, all of Saul's servants love David. Everybody loves David. And at this point, Saul loves David. Okay, so all the men tell him, you know, hey, that that kid that you have playing you music and is your armor bearer, he's talking a lot of game. You know, he's talking a lot, you know, a, a boastful, you know, he's ready to fight. So, 
Then so uh, Saul brought him in. He sent him in, sent for him. And then David said to Saul, "Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine." And Saul said to David, "You're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth." And he is a man of war from his youth. Again, Goliath was a champion. He's been fighting all of his life. He's not only the champion of, of Gath, but he's very famous. He's not just a champion of the Philistines. He's from Gath, but he's not just a champion of the Philistines, but he's, he's famous. Everybody knows about Goliath, all right? And you're still a youth. He's been a warrior from his youth. You're just starting out. You're not, you're not even a rookie. You haven't fought at all, okay? So... You can't go, go out and do that. And, uh, but David said to Samuel, Your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear. And this uncircumcised Philistines will be, Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. This is the cause this is the cause who is this man which is an admirable cause we see goliaths in our own day okay where they're they're the richard dawkins of the world whether they're the christopher hitchens of the world whether they're these brilliant smart men and experts who go against the word of god they are the goliaths of our time they, everybody sees them as giants, but they are merely uncircumcised Philistines. We must not shrink back in fear. God s delivers. Okay? We, you know, and God is faithful and has been faithful to, to deliver us from sin and death, the, our ultimate enemy. Much more will He deliver us out of the hand of these fools. Ultimately, of these fools, whom many people see as giants. David doesn't see his size he sees his god that's where our eyes ought to be as well all right so moreover david said the lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear he will deliver me from the hand of this philistine and saul is convinced he said all right go and the lord be with you that's fantastic coming from saul again he loves he loves david and so far, you know, he knows that, that the Lord has rejected him, but he's still king. He's still the anointed. So he doesn't see David as anything at this point. So he says, go. I love you, David. I hope, I hope the best for you. Please, the Lord be with you. I'd love to, you to come back. Everybody loves you. I love you. You play great music for me. I love it. You know, so please, the Lord be with you and return. So Saul started clothing David with all of his stuff, with his bronze helmet. Remember, Saul was very tall. He was very huge. And it is kind of a funny picture. You think of, you know, when, when Jay, our oldest son, was little, he used to get in my boots and my shoes. And it's a hilarious sight. It's fun. It's fantastic. It, it's, it's really cute. So it's kind of, see, you know, you kind of have to have that imagery in your mind. You know, he, David's still a youth at this time. So all this stuff is just kind of hanging on him and he can't even move. And that's what he says. That's what he says. Ultimately, I can't even move with this stuff. He's trying to test him out. I can't move with this stuff. This sword is way too heavy. I'm not about to use this thing. So he takes it all off. He takes it all off and all he has is his shepherd's garb on, which is basically a heavy linen cloth. Okay, now, so that's all he has. That's all he has. Now, what a shepherd, would, his equipment would be the, that heavy cloth. He would have a staff, and that's really to, you know, for precarious terrains and so forth. He would have a rod to defend the sheep, and he would have a sling also to defend the sheep. So David's very proficient with this sling. He's an athlete. He's like the greatest slinger. I don't know if you call them slingers, but I'm going to call them slingers. <laughs> He's a great slinger. You know, he, he, he hits it bullseye every time so he's gifted for this okay so that's all he has on all right now now as he starts to approach uh, goliath he goes to the the wadis and in these wadis are are these smooth stones obviously in the narrative but they're huge they're like the size of baseballs. So we can't think of like these little pebbles that we see sometimes in these cartoons that you grew up with. That's not what he had. He got these huge stones. It's basically a baseball-sized uh, stone. Um, oops, sorry. So, uh, okay. Then he took it. So, as he's approaching, 
Goliath. Then he took his staff in his hand and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag. So again, that's what the shepherd would have to put these stones in because he already has a sling uh, in a pouch, which he had. And his sling was in his hand. I love that verse. I love that verse. David isn't only, he's ready. He is ready. He's ready to fight. It, it, everything, he's not preparing. He, everything is in his hands. He is ready. Before he even gets to Goliath, he doesn't have it on his belt. He doesn't have it, you know, like a sword in a sheath. If he were to have a sword, it's in his hand. He's ready to fight. This, we have to see within the narrative why these writers put in these things. Okay, that's why I think he put in that he had beautiful eyes, to let us know he had something very welcoming about him. Okay, here, his sling was in his hand. If it would have said his sling was in his belt, or if it didn't say anything at all, we don't have anything to you know, consider with this sling. But if it would have said the sling was in his belt, then that would imply something of a reservation, you know, something of some kind of a fear. There's no fear with David. He is ready. So, and he drew near the, to the Philistine. So the Philistine came and began drawing near to David. And the man who bore the shield went before him, Goliath. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy and good-looking. So the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? Because he had a staff. And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. So that's David's answer to this Philistine. You think you're, you think you're this great champion. You come to me talking all your junk, just like we've discussed you know, in the sports arena, which is meant to demean the person, cast down their spirits, their confidence, and so forth. That's what this Philistine is doing. That's what Goliath is doing. And David says, you come to me with a sword, come to me with a spear and a javelin, and you start cursing me by your supposed gods, you think you're something? I don't have a spear. I don't have a sword. I don't have a javelin. I have God. And we'll see what happens, Goliath. You think, you think you're going to give my body to the birds of the air? Every single one of you are going to be fed to the birds of the air. Now, there was a deal, right? There was a deal that if, that if one of these champions won, then the other side would have to serve the other. Okay, so if Goliath won, all the Israelites had to serve the Philistines. If David wins, all the Philistines have to serve the Israelites. Let's keep that in the back of our mind, okay? But David's even saying, I know what's going to happen, and ultimately all of you, all of you are going to be uh, killed. So it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David that David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. Goliath started just approaching like he normally does, thinking this is going to be nothing. This is just a kid coming out with sticks. You know, this is, this is going to be nothing. And David can't wait. Now all the, all the talk is done. Now it's time to fight. Now it's time to fight. I'm going to run after you. And he does. Then David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead so that the stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the earth. Remember, he had a bronze helmet, which basically comes to here. So he hit him in this precise spot. You have any idea what kind of accuracy you need for that? I mean, it, talk about hitting, you know, a bullseye on the other side of like a football field. You know, he hit a bullseye with that wasn't even there there was no bullseye but he ended up hitting it. it sunk into his his forehead these slings are very powerful i mean they they they, they go at a quick pace and and so it struck him and the philistine fell and it killed him so he's dead however remember david said i'm gonna have your head so there was no sword in the hand of david therefore david ran and stood over the philistine took his sword that's so awesome. 
<laughs> drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. Can you imagine the Philistines on the and the Israelites too? The Israelites are getting encouraged here. They're like, "Wow, he's right. God totally saved us here. That's amazing." Philistines are thinking the same thing. Oh no, the God of Israel is fighting. We're dead men. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Now, I don't think this is just, you know, getting away from the deal that they had. I think they're afraid. Because if they weren't afraid, they would have fought. You know, if just because they're reneging on the deal doesn't mean that they wouldn't have just said, okay, well, that's interesting. Let's just go ahead and kill all the Israelites anyway. You know, in other words, that's plan B. If Goliath doesn't work out, well, plan B is still to fight and just kill them all. They ran away. They fled. And then all the people pursued them. All the people pursued them and cast them down. And sure enough, they were all fed to the birds of the air, just like David had prophesied. And he also knew because he knows the faithfulness of his God and the faithfulness of our God. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem. But he put his armor in his tent. Now this, just so you know, also in the narrative, these time frames, as, as we've discussed, they're not always chronological. There is no Jerusalem nece necessarily right now. So this probably happens later where he takes the head. But he obviously keeps the head and, and then he... Um, uh, and he put his armor in his tent, so he hung on to that too. We'll also see that he consecrated, he gave this sword. This is what you would do to the priest. Remember when we discussed the Achan in the account of Jericho, where Joshua says, take none of these accursed things. They are supposed to be given over to the Lord. And that's what David does with, with these things. With, so, with the sword, right now he's putting his armor in his tent, but the, the armor was most likely consecrated to the Lord as well. But he kept his head. He kept his head for safekeeping. As a memorial of sorts. I know that sounds kind of gross, but you have to understand where David is. This is the first time that David, you know, his anointing is being shown. He knows that the providence of God has caused this. And so he's keeping the only trophy that he's not going to give over to the Lord. The only trophy he can have is the one that he promised would happen to Goliath. I am taking your head. And he literally took his head. All right. Um, when Saul saw, saw David going out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner says, surely I don't know. Ultimately, David comes back. He tells, me, tells him, I am the son of Jesse, your servant. I'm the son of Jesse. Going into 18, and we'll probably end with 18. Now, when he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul, soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Saul took him that day and would not let him go, to, go home to his father's house anymore. Remember, he, he had asked for David to come down, but now David is, now Saul is starting to have some suspicions with David. He sees that the Lord did deliver them out of the hand of the Philistine by David. So he's not going to let him go home anymore. And Jonathan knows that. Let's remember that because that will play a part later on. And, jo and Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, even to his sword and his bow and his belt. So he's giving him all of his royal garments and the sword, which, we, which remember, we discussed only Saul and Jonathan had swords. Okay, and he's giving him his sword. I believe Jonathan sees that, that, that God has rejected Saul as king. And Jonathan accepts that. As we'll see, he's willing to serve David. Once David becomes king, he's willing to sit by his side and serve along with him. Okay? And that's going to, play, that's going to be very important. But he's, he's given these things over to David. He's recognizing God's anointing in him. God's spirit in him. So, David went out wherever Saul sent him and behaved wisely. And Saul sent him over the men of war, and he, he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. And it happened as they were coming home when David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistines, or of the Philistine, that the women had come out in all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy, and with musical instruments. We've seen, you know, these kind of parades, these victory parades after these huge military battles. 
when you win, you come, and it's this great time of rejoicing, and that's what's happening here. The women are coming out, they're playing all this music, and they're dancing. This is a great, great time. So the women sang as they danced and said, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. Then Saul was very angry, and the saying displeased him, and he said, They have ascribed to David ten thousands, but to me they have ascribed only thousands. As if that's nothing. I mean, that's actually pretty neat, Saul. You know, that's not bad, fella. You know, but, but they're ascribing to David more, so he's getting jealous. He doesn't see the compliment. He just sees it as an insult. It wasn't meant to be an insult, but he sees it that way. And so he, he gets very angry. So Saul eyed David from that day forward, from then on. And it happened on the next day that the distressing spirit from God came upon Saul, and he prophesied inside the house. So David played music with his hand as at other times. But there was a spear in Saul's hand, and Saul cast his spear, for he said, I will pin David to the wall. But David escaped his presence twice. Now Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him and had departed from Saul. That's why Saul's doing this. Now the fact that Saul even had a spear next to him just implies his hysteria, his, parano his paranoia. He's, he's scared. He knows that he's been rejected king. And so what he expects is some coup. You know, whoever the next anointed one is, is going to come and strike him down. He doesn't know God, apparently. He never served in the way that an anointed king should. David does. He refuses to strike Saul. In fact, we'll see. He cuts his robe and he feels terribly about it. Even that. All of his buddies, all of his men are telling him, Hey, the Lord has delivered him into your hand. Go and strike him down. It's like, whoa, whoa, none of you raise a hand against the Lord's anointed. I know he's rejected him, but he's still his anointed. David will not become king until God makes him king. He's anointed him, but David waits upon the Lord, not himself. He doesn't make these things happen. So, therefore, when Saul, uh, therefore, when Saul saw that he be behaved very wisely, he was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he went out and came in before them. Now, Saul wants to have David marry one of his daughters. Okay, to this is his plan. All right. First of all. In order to marry his daughter, this is what he, he eventually makes a plan. Because David starts to say, I'm very poor. I'm lightly esteemed. Let's remember what God said. I will honor those who will honor me. And those who despise me will be lightly esteemed. Now, God, David honors God. But right now, he's lightly esteemed. Okay. So Saul says, all right, you don't have to worry about dowry. I know you're poor. That's fine. Tell you what. You go get me a hundred foreskins of the Philistines. So in other words, go kill hundred Philistines. Prove it to me. With the, this would be very demeaning. You know, once you kill the, your enemy, then you go all out and make it a spectacle. Okay, but this is what you do. Go and get me a hundred foreskins of the Philistines. But his plan was, surely the Philistines are going to strike him dead and I'll just be done with this, right? And so David goes out and he gets 200. He does double the price <laughs> just because what he sees is he should give a dowry. This is a great gift from Saul. Now, he had killed Goliath. So, I mean, ultimately, Saul owed him this anyway. But Saul's trying to do this kind of as a tactical deal. He's hoping that especially McCall, she has other gods. So that could be the reason. But he thinks that she'll become a snare to David. So he's doing all this to get to David. That's the point, okay? Now, even even with that, David tries to kill uh, David again. I mean, Saul tries to kill David again, and then he has all of his servants go and and get David from his bed, so McCall and David's bed. Now, they they find out about it, and McCall puts one of her gods under her bed. So, obviously, this is a big good-sized god and uh, lets uh, David out out of the window down a rope, just like we saw the two spies from Jericho, so, like we saw Paul in Jerusalem, okay? So this is just, a, it's just another sign indicative of God's deliverance for his servants. So now, 
When Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David and that Michal, Saul's daughter, loved him, and Saul was still more afraid of David, so Saul became David's enemy continually. Then the princes of the Philistines went out to war. And so it was, whenever they went out, that David behaved more wisely than all the servants of Saul, so that his name became highly esteemed. He was lowly esteemed. And now, because of God's anointing, because of his faithful service to, to God's anointing, to the Lord's anointing, and to the people, the people start to love him. Remember, the people were deathly afraid of Saul. Okay? And now they see a faithful warrior bent on, on killing and defending for Israel, not his great name, not to erect monuments for himself, not to conscript the men to battle, as we'll see. David ends up, his first, his first uh, army is a 400 ragtag gang of fellas, okay? These, these are people who owe debts. They're, they are displeased with Saul and all this, as we'll see. God willing. However, we're going to stop there. We got all the way through three chapters. So, to go back, and we're just going to take our time, all right? We'll breeze through some of these narratives, but the, that it was important to kind of set out with those three um, going into the following. But again, let's go back to who do we try to emulate? Who are our heroes? Who are the men and women we look up to? And let's consider, are they worthy of our adulation? You know, if they are not under the headship and the glory of God, I think, I think there's nothing wrong in admiring the voice of somebody, I guess. You know, I guess these things are gifts. Or the athletic prowess uh, of, of a certain man or woman, should be the case. But ultimately... Our, you know, we're not called to have any idolatry, any idols like that, 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 that demurs or blurs or suspends our view of God must be cast out, must be cast out. We can respect the gifts of certain people, but let us only emulate those that God has given us to emulate. Ultimately, the supreme example in our ultimate and absolute hero is Christ. That is who we seek to be. That is our first one, but we were not, okay? So, as I've said, let's, let's go down the spectrum. <laughs> Paul, I think, is a wonderful figure. James, I think, is a wonderful figure. David, obviously, I think, is a wonderful figure. With all of his faults, with all of his faults, as we've discussed, He's not the Christ, which I think one of the wonderful things about the Bible is that it, they show their, it shows its heroes warts and all. You know, it's not like the, the Greek myth, mythological gods or, the, or their military heroes. They paint them perfect. They're all perfect. Everything's perfect. No, the Bible's honest. The Bible's honest. God is perfect and everybody else is not. Even this faithful king who brings in the apex, the golden age of Israel, neither is perfect. However, one of the things about David that is unlike most men and women, certainly those in the Bible, certainly Saul himself, he was so slow to see the sin in another man or a woman. It's not like he was slow. It's not like, you know, he was mentally, you know, didn't have the capacity to understand it. He just always gave grace. He always gave grace. However, when sin, when he was convicted of sin, he was the first one to admit it. Okay. Now, it took some time after Bathsheba, as we've discussed. He had to hear it from Nathan, the prophet. But as soon as he heard that, he repented. And Psalm 51 which we will consider when we get to that narrative, is one of my favorite psalms, and he wrote it just after that. I would implore you to read Psalm 51 before we even get to that. It's a wonderful psalm. It's a wonderful psalm of contrition, knowing that God is ultimately faithful. He says, please do not take your Holy Spirit from me, as he knows God did to Saul. That's what David's afraid of. After his sin, he's afraid of losing God. He's afraid of losing God. Now, God is faithful, and, and David knows that too, okay? But he knows that there will 
there's always a price to pay for sin. Absolutely. Ultimately, is Christ on the cross. But ultimately, no matter what we do, no matter, I mean, God's forgiveness overwhelmingly brings us peace in many different ways. But ultimately, when you sin against another person, when we sin, and in that psalm, God, David says, you and you only, against you and you only have I sinned. And I've made the point, it's not true. He sinned against Bathsheba, he sinned, sinned against Uriah. But he's making it clear that when we sin, ultimately we are sinning against God, no matter what it is. No matter what it is, our first sin is against God. And then, as it, insofar as it is exercised against other men and women, there are always ramifications for that. Always. David lost the son that would be born to Bathsheba. Terrible account. Very sad ordeal, which I think affected him as a father. We'll also see he's seemingly not the greatest father in the world. And as we discussed, sadly, when powerful men, great men, or ministers, sadly, they, they lose sight of their children. And uh, that seems to be the case with David. Again, he was imperfect. But... Certainly, I think, a hero worth emulating, okay? Uh, and learning from. One of the great things about, about having heroes is also recognizing their faults, okay? Not to rationalize or excuse our own, but to keep us safe from them. I mean, even when you're sons, you can learn from your father's mistakes, or you can learn from other people's mistakes, just like David, okay? He's, he's worthy to be honored and, and adored and emulated. But let us also recognize he wasn't perfect, perfect neither of, neither are any of us. However, real briefly, what I also, we also want to just emphasize here is that David began a shepherd, okay? He was a shepherd who became a king, okay? And we'll discuss more about that, but he's the shepherd of Israel, okay? He's the first shepherd over Israel, and we'll make that more manifest, God willing, uh, in our next message. All right, praise God. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to Sea of Fire Ministries. We hope and pray this has blessed you in your walk with God, and we hope you join us again next week. You have been listening to Sea of Fire Ministries, where the Word of God is life.